We're all familiar with the phrase, a game of two halves. Well, this is a service of two halves. Uh, Alice has led us really helpfully and brilliantly around the theme and the importance of Palm Sunday. But for the second half of this service, we are going to head back into the strange, apocalyptic world of visions as, as we re-engage uh, with Daniel. And we bring this series to a potential end. And I know for some people that might seem like a disconnect to be doing that today, but we're going to do it anyway. Uh, although I must admit, I, I was in two minds about whether to stick with Daniel. And after reading chapter 11, which is one of the longest in the book, and then after coming across this quote from a, a reasonably well-respected biblical scholar, I really did consider skipping it all together, Palm Sunday or not. Uh, here's his comment. This chapter might be treated in Bible classes. We do not see how it could be used for a sermon. <laughs> so in about 20 minutes, you might agree with that, and you might have wished I took Herbert Leopold's advice, although anybody called Herbert Leopold doesn't deserve to be listened to for advice. <laughs> but if you were... Sorry, that's, that was poor for me to say. Have anybody called Herbert here? I apologize. <laughs> uh, if you were here a couple of weeks ago, you might remember how I said that all of chapter 10, the entire chapter 10 of Daniel, was about preparing him for the final vision that we do read in chapters 11 and 12. And so if that kind of level of prep was needed before Daniel was given his last glimpse of the future, then I actually do believe it probably deserves some attention in this kind of context irrespective of how hard this is going to be for you, particularly. But as we get into this, let me ask you a question. How well do you know God? How well do you know God? And the reason I ask that rather personal question is because the key lesson that I want us to take from this chapter the main thought that I want us to leave here with is this. Those who know their God will keep the faith. If you remember nothing else. Those who know their God will keep the faith. How well do you know your God? Now we usually stand and read the entire chapter. We're not going to do that this morning, but please do follow along as we work our way through it. Uh, Daniel chapter 11, it's page 896 if you want to follow it in one of the Red Pew Bibles. Uh, but let me start at verse 2. And here's how verse 2 starts if you look at it with me. Now then, I tell you the truth. Who is the I? The I is God's messenger the angel who had come to Daniel in chapter 10, possibly Gabriel, but we don't know for sure. But it's important to note that he's going to speak truth. I'm going to tell you the truth. And in other words, what he's about to communicate to Daniel will happen. It will occur. And for us, as we read Scripture, and as it tells us about what did happen on Palm Sunday, as it tells us about what did happen on that first Holy Week, as it tells us what did happen on the first Good Friday, the first Easter Sunday, and as it tells us about what will happen in the future, 
Because God's word does tell us what will happen in the future, down the line, when the end inevitably comes. It is important to acknowledge that God's word speaks truth, communicates truth. And therefore, what it says will happen. Yes, there are some of the details that we wish were clearer, specifically regarding timing. But the crucial thing to confess is that God knows the future. God has given us enough of a heads up regarding its reality and implications. So the question is, do you believe that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey? And do you believe that Jesus is going to return to this earth on a white horse? Do you? Back to verse 2. Now then, I tell you the truth. Three more kings will rise in Persia, and then a fourth who will be far richer than all the others. When he has gained power by his wealth, he will stir up everyone against the kingdom of Greece. Then a mighty king will arise who will rule with great power, do as he pleases. And after he has arisen, his empire will be broken up and it will be parceled out towards the four winds of heaven. It will not go to his descendants, nor will it have the power he exercised, because his empire will be uprooted and given to others. Kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall. Empires come and empires go. That's been the predictions in the second half of Daniel. And it's true, they do. History confirms it. And in these verses, right down to verse 19, Daniel is given an insight into the conflict that is going to rage over the next number of years between the kings of the north and the kings of the south. And as we look back from our vantage point, we can track what actually did happen between those kings of the north and kings of the south. We know about Alexander the Great, who's referenced here in verse 3. We know about him. But for Daniel... This was all advance notice. This was all ahead of time information. He and the people of God were being given a heads up. But their question was, as they heard this, as Daniel heard this, the question was, or his concern was, what impact, what effect is all this future conflict that you're telling me, Angel, is going to take, what effect is it going to have on us? And in verse 14 and verse 16, we get an insight. Look at verse 14 with me. In those times, many will rise against the king of the south. And hear this bit. Those who are violent among your own people will rebel in fulfillment of the vision, but without success. In other words, there will be people within the ranks of the people of God, violent people, who will receive this vision and try to speed things up, but they're going to fail. You see, you can't hurry love, according to Phil Collins, but you can't hurry God. And you can't hurry his plans. You do have to just wait. And this angelic visitor is making it pretty clear to Daniel that the people of God, you're going to have to live, you're going to have to breathe, you're going to have to worship, you're going to have to exist in a tough and hostile environment for quite some time. You can't speed this up. I know you want to press fast forward. I know you want to get through all this conflict, but you can't. You're going to have to live in it, breathe in it, worship in it, exist in it, do life in it. 
the immediate future does not look that great. And you can't rush it. And you can't change it. Plus, and this would have been hard to hear and hard to take, look at verse 16. Even when you do arrive home from exile, now remember, by this stage in the story, so to speak, some of the Jews have started to return home to their promised land. Home from exile. But even when they get to, and it's described here as the beautiful land, you'll notice, they should expect further suffering, further humiliation at the hands of someone who just does as he pleases is what verse 16 says. And you know what else? He's going to have the power to wreck your beautiful land. Now as you read this, there is a sense in which you think, why did the people of God need to know this? Because surely ignorance is bliss. Like, like, like if they weren't told this, surely that would, be, that would be far better. But at another level, this is essential information. This is about preparing the people of God for what is to come. This is about being forewarned in order to be forearmed. This is about seeing the bigger picture and realizing, do you know something? Even though this is hard to hear, God knows what lies ahead. And despite how it looks at the moment, despite all that's kicking off around you at the moment, despite all that's going to kick off around you for the next couple of centuries, God is still in control. And God will see his people through. And so at the end of verse 19, look at it, the angel confirms that even the one who does as he pleases, even the one who causes all this mayhem, he will stumble, he will fall, and he will be seen no more. And again, so much of this is meant to act as a warning and an encouragement to us. Because you see, until our journey is over, until the ultimate end We need to persevere amidst the challenges and even the persecution. And God's word makes it really clear that those who intend and try and attempt to keep the faith will be persecuted. But to know That yes, there is a day coming. Yes, that's the warning. You need to persevere. You need to be prepared to bed down. You need to be prepared to live this life and keep the faith. But here's the encouragement. God will see you through into an expansive new future. Plus, you need to know that those who reel against God, those who reel against the people of God, they will eventually stumble. They will lose their way. They will meet their maker. Warning and encouragement to keep the faith and retain perspective. But back to the text, look at verses 20 and 21. Because what the angel then says is, listen, there's two more kings and rulers who are going to be up here. The first one only lasts for a short time, but then up steps, and this would have been really hard. Up steps a truly ruthless, evil monarch. He's actually described as a contemptible person in verse 21. And for the rest of the chapter, although I recognize there's a little debate about whether he's still being talked about at the end of this, 
But for the rest of the chapter, the angelic messenger tells Daniel about the ungodly and rather disturbing reign of Antiochus IV or Antiochus Epiphanes. That little horn, as we identified in Daniel's chapter 7 and 8, he is going to wage continuous war and show no mercy towards the people of God. And the implications for Israel of this guy's reign, of this guy's persecution, they're spelt out way ahead of time. Please remember this. We can look back from our vantage point and we can see it, but for Daniel and for the people, this was heads up. This was advance notice. This was what life was going to be like under this guy. Verse 30, he is going to vent his fury against the Holy Covenant. Verse 30, he is going to show favor for those who don't keep the faith, who forsake the Holy Covenant. Again, here's a heads up for the people of God. You know something? There's going to be some people who won't keep the faith. There's going to be some people who are going to find the pressure too intense. They're going to find the going so tough that they're going to turn their backs on the faith. And then this guy, this guy's going to show them favor. Verse 31, he will desecrate the temple. He will abolish daily worship. To add insult to injury, he's going to set up some kind of idol in the temple. And verse 31, he will corrupt those who turn their backs on God. Again, hear this warning. There's going to be those who turn their backs on God. And then this guy's going to corrupt them. And to put it bluntly, he's going to be a nightmare for God's people. He's going to create hell on earth. And other materials, such as the book of 1 Maccabees, sheds even more light on this period of suffering and persecution. It tells us that the holy books of the law were cut into pieces under this guy's reign, and they were burnt. And anyone that was found in possession of God's word, anyone who was found obedient to God's word, would be put to death. If we go back into Daniel 9, and as I've said, there, there is some query over whether verses 36 to the end are still referring to Antiochus, but let's, let's say they do. Because what we read is that he will exalt himself. He's going to speak blasphemous words against God. In fact, he's going to write off any gods. He's going to create havoc. He's going to uproot. He's going to conquer. He's going to kill. But look at verse 45. Because his time will come. And he won't last forever. And his insidious reign will be cut. Yet he will come to his end, says this angelic visitor. And no one will help him. And again, it's a glimpse of the future that contains both a warning. Listen, this is how it's going to be. It's going to be hard. People are going to fall away. But it's also an encouragement there is despair, yes, but there's also hope. And at one level, it is hard to get your head around. Daniel must have looked ahead with a certain degree of fear and dread. Is this how it's going to be? 
And yet at another, he's going to have a sense of assurance and hope that yes, okay, kingdoms will rise, kingdoms will fall, empires will come and empires will go. But at the end of the day, God will see us through. God has the future under control. God knew where his people were going and heading. God knows it and will see to it. And by giving Daniel a bird's eye view into the future, he is helping him and he's helping the people of God to be prepared and to be encouraged. But that's really easy to say for us. For Daniel. And what was left of his life, and remember, what was left of his life was only a handful of years. And for many of the existing people of God at this time, All they were going to know, because you see, this particular message related to 200 years down the line. So for all the people of God hearing this, all they were going to know was pressure and persecution. And their daily sacrifices wrecked and idols set up in their places of worship. And so this can't have been easy to process but in some ways it was meant to act as an encouragement because it let Daniel see that no matter how hard it would get, no matter how messed up people like this were, they won't prevail. They won't have the last word. They will be wiped off the stage of history at an appointed time. And again, as we read this in in 2016 and as we attempt to make the connections, because Antiochus, and this, this is a firmly held belief, It seems pretty clear teaching of Scripture, but Antiochus represents the enemy of God's people right throughout the rest of history, a kind of pattern of antichrists. And as we join up the dots, we can take heart because although it can seem that we're up against it as a faith community in our day, and we are up against it as a faith community, And although the pressures to turn our backs on God and on our faith are intense and they are intensifying, and every single one of us in this room probably knows somebody who due to the pressure has backed off, has lost their way. And the pressure to keep the faith is intense and it's intensifying. And God is increasingly treated in our day with ridicule and attempt. The word of God is effectively ripped to pieces. And thrown out. And let's not forget about those people in other countries who are experiencing even more and more severe persecution than we ever will. But we also know because God has revealed it to us. God has given us a heads up that someday, and yes, maybe it is years from now, but someday a new day will come and everything will be radically different and God's kingdom will come finally, fully, and forever. And that revelation, that knowledge, that awareness is intended to help us be prepared and be encouraged. Listen again to what Jesus said in John chapter 16. And as he talked to his disciples and his followers about their amazing long-term future, and Jesus had been saying things, listen, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to prepare a place for you, and one day you're going to join me in that place. 
But here's what it's going to be like in the here and now for you. And this is for us. In this world, you will have trouble. In the here and now, for the foreseeable future, if you follow me, you're going to have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. And think about this. Jesus said that pre-first Easter. Can you imagine how the disciples and his followers felt whenever Jesus was being kicked from pillar to post and hung on a cross? When they think, hang on a minute, Jesus said, I have overcome the world. And yet here he is. Here he is dying. Words like take heart of overcome seem far-fetched. They seem irrelevant, misplaced, wrong. But you see, Jesus knew the bigger picture and he wanted his disciples to see it and to grasp it. And post-Easter Sunday, the disciples probably thought three days later, whenever Jesus has come back to life, they thought, well, this new future, this, this home that Jesus is going to prepare for us, it must be imminent. It, it must be ready to arrive. And yet then Jesus, what does he do? He leaves them. And he sends his Holy Spirit to fill them and to empower them. But their hassles didn't end there, did they? Every single one of the apostles ended up being martyred for their faith. In this world, you will have trouble. You will. If you're seriously following after Jesus, if it is your heart's desire to keep the faith, you will have trouble. But take heart. He has overcome. And for the first disciples, just like Daniel, they didn't exactly see the full or bigger picture during their lifetime, but they took heart from the promise of Jesus that yes, he had it under control. Daniel got a glimpse of the future. Why? To prep and encouragement. The disciples were told about the future. Why? To prep and encourage them. And we are in a similar place. In spite of our current circumstances, in spite of how we see things as we look around us, God is still in control. And God will ultimately win. And so the question is, and I'm near done, The question for us this morning is this. Okay, how do we live now? How do we live in the here and now? Yes, okay, Jesus, we've heard what you've said, that in this world we're going to have trouble. So how do we live now? And how was Daniel and the people of God meant to live in their present in light of the future? Well, let me take you back to verses 32 to 35. Look at this. These are critical verses about how to live whenever you face pressure and opposition and you face the temptation to pack it in. And look at the end of verse 32. But the people who know their God, they will be strong and will resist him. Or in the ESV, the people who know their God will stand firm, will display strength and take action. And so the obvious question this raises is simple and it takes me back to our first question. How well do you know God? 
Because it's only those who know their God who are going to stand. Who are going to resist. And who are not only going to stand and going to resist, but they're going to take action. Some of you use the King James Version, the New King James Version. You'll be more familiar with it in that. Those who know their God stand firm and do exploits. It's those who know their God that are going to finish well. And it would be so easy to miss or gloss over that phrase in verse 32, and yet it's so important that when the heat is on and the pressure to compromise or to cave in ratchets up, and it will ratchet up, and for some of us sitting in this church this morning, the temptation to pack it in and turn our backs on this and to walk away from church is intense. But you know, it's those who know God who will be able to stay standing. Not know about him, that's, that's good. But it's those who know him personally, relationally, intimately. Paul's prayer for the Christians in Ephesus was simple, that they would know God. And how do we know God better? Well, according to Moses, he cried, teach me your ways, God, so that I may know you. And how do we learn God's ways? Primarily through our engagement with Scripture and our pursuit of Jesus. And so the question is, what's your engagement with Scripture like? How's your pursuit of Jesus? Because it's through his word and through him that you will get to know God and that you will know God well. And then the messenger goes on. And he says, The wise among the people will help others understand that it's not just those who know God who'll stay standing, but it's those who understand that it's through suffering, it's through finding it tough, it's as we struggle, it's as we stumble, it's as we feel that we are being refined and purified and made holy, and if there was ever a relevant message for us today, surely that's it. We need to know, and we need others, wise people to help us know and to teach us that it's through suffering, that it's through the stuff, the tough stuff, it's through opposition, it's through heartache, it's through the trials, it's through the squeezes that we are being refined, that we are being purified, that we are being made holy, that it's in the midst of the difficult challenges that we must persevere, we must hang in there. Here's how James put it at the start of his short epistle, and on Sunday nights post-Easter we're going to work our way through James's epistle but here's how he put it consider it pure joy my brothers and my sisters whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance and that's a perspective we need to get but boy is that hard <laughs> like how many of us can honestly say we consider it joy whenever the hate's on, and whenever the opposition comes, and whenever we're tempted to pack it in. 
And so in Daniel 10 and 11, and now I'm quoting David Helm, he says this, the terrifying vision of an ungodly ruler is painted on an apocalyptic canvas for the purpose of driving God's people towards holiness and purity. And that's how we're called to live now. Let me illustrate this further and finally in the words of the Apostle Peter because you see, just after he explained about the end of time, because he talked on a number of occasions about the end of time as we know it, and he tells his Christian readers, here's how you ought to live, here's how you must live in light of the end. You ought to live holy and godly lives. And so then, dear friends, since you're looking forward to this, looking forward to the end, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Make every effort. Grace and responsibility, I know this is something we've talked about a number of times. It's God who works in us, but God requires our cooperation. And so we've got to make every effort to pursue godliness and holiness. And that's hard. That's really hard. But that's our challenge and that's our calling. As we look forward to a promised new day when God will win and everything will change. And for the people of God in light of Daniel 11, their challenge was to know their God and allow him to refine them and purify them and make them holy as they faced this incredibly tough immediate future, but knowing that in the end, God is in control and God will win, and for us, not a lot has changed. And so, maybe I should have avoided a sermon in Daniel chapter 11, but if nothing else, I hope you can go away with a stronger desire to know your God so that you will keep the faith and a stronger desire to live holy and godly lives in light of your guaranteed future.